Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello, Peter. How are you on this wet and windy day? I'm great. I'm great. Looking forward to the the up to Christmas, or rather the the holiday at Christmas I'm looking forward to. (laughs) Uh, How about yourself? Yeah, the same. Uh, Wow. How is it that a bus arrives just like when we start recording? It's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to to Christmas, to a break, to getting this essay in that I'm doing, to having the award ceremony that I'm doing out of the way. You can probably work out when we're recording this because of that. And yeah, just having a bit more time, really. Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> yeah, it would be really nice. So we, um, in our last episode, and that's why there's been a bit of a break, we announced Arkham in Flames. And at the time of recording, we've sold half of the tickets. That's within, I think, less than two weeks we've sold half of the tickets. So that's incredible. <laughs> and I still kind of can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm so excited about this. I'm, I'm, the spits I'm nervous about, but I think it's going to be great. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff planned and it's just a case of seeing all that come together. Like I said, we, we, we've got some cool creators of stuff to provide things that we're going to give away. To, at the event so we're starting to put plans together for that and and what exactly everything's going to be and we'll start to reveal that on our various social media channels uh when it when it comes to fruition yeah i really enjoyed actually maybe having things roughly planned and then waiting to see if we'd actually managed to sell any tickets and then now we can start like sort of filling in the blanks it's yeah yeah it's exactly yeah yeah We've got the money to pay for this stuff now, so that's that's good. Yeah, yeah, well, that's important as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really excited as well. I think it's going to be really cool. And once Christmas is done, then it's just going to be the race towards March and the event. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And if, if you haven't got a ticket yet, the best thing to do is... Uh, will you put a link to the event page on Eventbrite? In yeah, the I can do. Yeah. Or, or, you know, we'll be talking about... I think it's the pin post on our Facebook page. Uh, or you can search for Arkham and Flames on Eventbrite and you should get to the page where you can buy tickets. Yeah, and we've put it on all of our social media so you can find find it there. Maybe with the wrong link. I, I turns out I'm not very good at linking to Eventbrite. So <laughs> it's a learning experience. I never claimed to be an event, event person. Okay, what are we doing this episode, Peter? Well, we are doing, Frank, a, a mailbag episode. We've got a huge bag of letters that have been sent in to us by our listeners Uh, and what's going to happen is we're going to reach into the bag and pull out a letter at random and then read a question off it oh i like the sound of that yeah great idea and we sometimes mention our patrons but this is one of the tiers uh from the ravenous school or above tier you can send us in questions so we've we've got this huge pile of questions from people to to go through let me just lift this huge bag of questions onto the table oh you're right there yeah Yeah. hang on um, so. I hope you're wearing one of those um, girdles to not have a hernia. Hernia prevention belt, yeah, absolutely. So Great. so should we just dive in and grab one? Let's do it, let's do it. Yeah, let's see how we get on. Okay, the first question here is, a nice short one, is one or two willpower really that dire? Good question. Thank it's, you. It's going to get old fast, that, <laughs> on, a, on a questions episode. Is one yeah. or two willpower that dire? Well... Yeah. We, we definitely know one person has one willpower, which is mm-hmm. Finn. Yeah. 
And then we have Skids on two willpower. Mm-hmm. Does anyone else have two willpower? Um, Silas. Silas, yes. And there's one other one willpower, but she's not out yet. Of course, yes. We'll we'll, we'll leave her for the moment. Yeah. Well, it, it's long been thought of floor of Skids that is willpower solo, right? In a way, I sort of think mm, two yeah, yeah. is worse than one. I loved how you introduced that then as well. It's long been thought. It was like you were <laughs> about to launch into a kind of fireside comment. <laughs> Just swirling my brandy yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah, in a way, I think two is maybe worse than one because two is still not particularly good. <laughs> it's mm, hard to pass yeah. many tests with two, but you don't get that extra point in a different start. Yeah. So I, I think with Finn, you can... You can build them around just not passing willpower tests, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. if, if you say if you say to yourself, right, well, I'm just not going to pass them. And then you can work on that by mitigating the effects of not passing the willpower tests. A card like Take Heart jumps to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And putting in horror healing, because often willpower tests will be connected to taking horror. Yeah. And also, you know, if you can build around uh, some encounter-canceling cards or, or, you know, a counter encounter card avoidance now, I, I don't think you're in a terrible position to be honest mm. there was a really good good blog article on it's the blog is called i think strange solution it's motux on the discord and it was during carcosa he did a write-up of how often do you actually get tested for willpower during the um mythos right. phase it's a lot less than you think isn't it it's a lot less than you think so then giving you a sense of, say, are you gonna, if you're maybe going to hit four willpower tests in a scenario, how are you actually going to handle those tests? And for someone like Skids, you know, one of the things willpower tests might do, I'm thinking of Frozen in Fear here, is tax your actions. And Skids can pay for extra actions anyway. So if you have a way of just muscling your way through the tax, that's almost more efficient than taking the massive hit by committing six cards to try and pass a willpower test that you're not going to really pass. Yeah. So, yeah. For me, the trick would be not to try and make it so your willpower is acceptable. Mm. Because yeah. it'll take you a lot of cards, a lot of effort to even get to the point that, you know, a mediocre point. Yeah. And it, but yeah. by that point, you're not playing to your strengths. So I, I would say it's not that bad if you put in some cards to mitigate you know, failing those tests, depending on what campaign you're playing, uh, you should be fine. Mm. I'd compare it as well, just really briefly before we move on, to those agility tests that you might take, where it's take a point of damage for each point you fail by. And if I see one of those tests as daisy, say, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm taking damage here. And I won't boost my agility because I probably won't have anything to boost with. If I've run out of wards of protection, then I just take it on the chin. And I know that that's an Achilles heel for Daisy, but I just hope I don't see too many of those cards. And I think it's similar for someone like Finn. You're like, you've got to factor in that you're probably going to take between three and six horror in a scenario where you just couldn't do anything about it. So thinking about what soak do I have? How do I get around that? Can I go quicker than the horror can kill me? You know, all of those sort of things. Uh, Awesome. Well, should we go on to the next question? Yeah, sure. Reaching into the pile here and pulling one out. What is the best way to build for investigators' weaknesses, not in their personal signature weaknesses, but like uh, Daisy or Ursula who lack strength, or Finn or Skids who lack willpower, etc.? Oh, okay. Um, Good question. Thank you. So this is not signature weaknesses. This is just. just, There's there's a great quote from the legendary Kevin Keegan. Um, He said. 
what is it? He's using his strength, and that's his strength. His strength. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Every guardian has said that at one time or another. Yeah, and, and, sure. and on the flip side, if you've seen the, there's a a, a remake inverted commas of Jumanji that came out recently with with The Rock and Kevin Hart. I have seen it. Yes, I, I really enjoy that film. Mm. It's good fun. It's a good rock vehicle. But but they, they all the characters have have positives and negatives and and one, Kevin Hart's character his weakness is strength. How how can, <laughs> how can strength be my weakness? Yeah. Doesn't one of them have a weakness as cake as well? Yeah, same here. Yes, yeah, so Kevin Hart also. <laughs> yeah, I think the, yeah. the Rock's character has no weaknesses as well. Yeah, yeah. There's someone in someone with bees or something like that so i can't remember but yeah it was very good yeah i and i remember him squealing how can my weakness be strong <laughs> yeah so i mean that that is daisy or ursula particularly ursula or wendy she has a strength of one as well so this question is not how do you deal with the signature weaknesses of a character but how do you deal with their kind of general deficiencies so we've actually sort of touched on that with the willpower i think big picture for this the way i approach it and I've definitely said this on previous episodes, is being aware of the weakness. And it might not be that I include, you know, 15 cards of my deck to handle it, but it's just knowing the sorts of things I can and can't do. So as Wendy, if a locked door turns up, I could maybe pick the lock, but I'm not going to ever use combat to get through that locked door. And similarly, when enemies turn up, I've already built into my deck very specific ways of dealing with that. The, the weaknesses that I actually find more worrying than the um, stat line weaknesses are health or sanity weaknesses. So if you know you've only got five health or five sanity, knowing what your soaks are that are going to protect for that and knowing like that, I think it's a slight, it's a slight blind spot, isn't it? That you might, you go, Roland, oh, he has three willpower. That's reasonable. And it's his willpower is fine. But if he starts taking horror for failing willpower tests, that's the the real danger point. Yeah. And so in that instance, it's then, yeah, do I include my art student to soak or do I make sure I get a beat cop down early because the beat cop soaking horror, that's one of the important things it does. Yeah, yeah. Or do I upgrade into soak and things like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think don't try and force your character to do something that they're just not built to do is, is my main advice here. And, mm. and I would say that the way I often deal with this would be a team building stage. As as you and probably the listeners know, I, I tend to play. Well, I, I hardly ever play solo. Uh, mm. In solo, you have to consider this uh, far more because you need a solution to do everything by yourself. But if you've got you know a team of say Daisy and, and Mark, you, you don't worry too much about Mark finding all the clues, and you don't worry about Daisy fighting all the monsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can yeah. cover your weaknesses with the other player's strengths. And you can still get hit. I remember playing um, Eternal Slumber recently. We had Finn, Leo, and Marie. And the Finn character kept drawing the willpower tests. And there's two people sitting with... I was the Finn character. I shouldn't listen to you know, It was me. The, I was sitting with two people with four willpower. And I was the one with one willpower. And I was the one who kept hitting the willpower tests. <laughs> and Leo kept drawing the agility tests, which he has agility of one. And... I, I was running you handle this one, but you can only play that twice. Uh, and then I just kept getting beaten up by it. So sometimes you'll have those games, right, in multiplayer, where even though you know what your weakness is and you've built some mitigation in for that or have a plan for dealing with it, you just get hit. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
is that the best way to build for investigative weaknesses? I think that's the way I've settled on. I hope that's a good answer to the question. Let's move on. Yes. Continuing the weakness theme. What is the most punishing signature weakness and basic weakness? Is overzealous that bad? So this is a, a two-parter. I mean, I think overzealous is that bad. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It, there's a rare time that you're happy to draw overzealous. Because often you'll draw it in uh, the, the upkeep phase. So you're mm. hit by two cards. And then straight away you've got to draw another one. Yeah. So, so you could go from being in a, in a relatively okay position to being in a, in a bad position. Or if you're already in a bad position, it can be terrible. Yeah. We've even had it where someone's drawn overzealous and upkeep and it's taken them so long to resolve that we've assumed that that was the mythos <laughs> yeah, phase done. Exactly, yeah. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, it's mythos. The no. one that sticks yeah. in my mind is, so this was in my Min deck when I played Puff to Carcosa. I might have told you this story before, Frank. So Min had a Bayaki on her and was, what was it again? I think someone else was taking a test and I committed, I used Analytical Mind to commit... Uh, one of the neutral skill cards, which drew me a card. Great idea. Yeah. yeah. And that drew me Why overzealous. Not? And then I ended up with another two Bayaki on me. Another two? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah that, was, that was not good. <laughs> Maybe, you know, Min's flavour is you can rely on me to guide you through the unknown. <laughs> She's just pulling... <laughs> the Bayakis thought that she was a tour guide and they've all come to join her. So you th- is overzealous the worst? Basic weakness. I don't know. It's it's hard to. By what criteria do you do you measure worst? Um, a lot of people mm. have said the doomed cycle. Yeah. So that's, how does it go again? Is it doomed? I can't remember the other two. Yeah, I haven't had it yet. For whom? Doomed for whom, the something and the bell, the bell tolls. tolls. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> doomed ascending path and for the, <laughs> the bell tolls, but I'm pretty sure that's just the middle location in yeah. where doom awaits. Yeah. So so they're bad because. You, you know, especially if you draw in like a seeker deck who will reasonably mm-hmm. draw their whole deck in, in a game, that means you almost certainly won't make it to the end of a of a campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, it, they're on, bad on, on in the a different side, way, aren't they? I was going to say on, on the flip side, they don't do anything during the game, do they? Do you take horror? Yeah, you take yeah, little you, bits yeah, of yeah, horror. Yeah, horror. Yeah, a cursed fate. That's the middle card of go. those three. So yeah. I think that that's pretty bad. Th- those are the ones that sp- that jump out to me as being like obviously bad, but you might have so like in a Jenny deck that's using a lot of streetwise and making money, you might have paranoia be really bad. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. if you're playing Dark Horse Pete, then paranoia is, is a great one to draw. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, it swings around about, isn't it? Really is, really so, is. Yeah. What was the first part of the question? What was the most punishing? Yeah, punishing signature weakness as well. Yes. We've not touched signatures at all. Well, a couple spring to mind for me here. I th- I've always thought that dark memory is really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's yeah. not only to horror, it's an action and two resources. And it can clog up an arcane initiate draw. No, sorry, mm-hmm. no, yeah. it's, it's a doom, isn't it? When you play it, it's a doom. If it's in your hand, it's too horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can sort of mitigate it if you get Pete ready to take up some of the horror, and then you can use it to trigger Agnes, but that's, you want to be on a countdown to the end of the scenario at that point. Mm-hmm. What I hate about it as well is that it can cause the agenda to advance. Yeah. It is ancient evils that you're spending an action and two resources and ancient for. Ancient evils is horrible. Yeah, and so there's never a good time 
to play it. No. There are some slightly better times if the agenda's just advanced and you're on a long clock, but otherwise it's just it's just making problems for you. The other, the other two I, I, that jumped to mind for me, sorry, you were yeah. about to jump in was one. I was going to say cover up. Yes, I was about I to say cover is... up as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cover up's just it's just bad. Especially because there's a few of them where if you draw it in the last few turns, you're you're heading towards some trauma, and cover up is a bit yeah. like that, because you might yeah. not be geared back up to be getting clues later in the scenario. Yeah, there might not even be any clues available. You might not be on the, on the on the board. So yeah, I think that can be really really tough for Roland. I'd love to revisit it with scene of the crime and and more testless clues, because I also have memories of it being three actions worth of tests. And now with the sort of the clue compression that's out there, maybe it'll be less severe. I remember it just being horrible. You're like desperate for an enemy to kill. That gets you one clue. Yeah. And you've got to investigate. It's like, ugh. Yeah. I suppose there's an inquiring mind and quick study now, which, not inquiring mind. Well, sort of inquiring mind. Quick study, really. Yeah. Malison, yeah. Forewarned as well. Yeah. So you can do some, some plays with locations that have clues on them. Mm, and yeah. then the other one, finally, um, I don't want to spend too long on a single question, but uh, the Black Wind to fight to fight yeah. the Black Wind, yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, that that to me is the straight up worst. It's doom, isn't it? <laughs> the worst. Yeah, yeah, it's just horrible. It's abs- absolutely ghastly, and it's I've e- that's a card that I've actually built around to try and not to try and mitigate how bad it is. Interesting. So like scrying my own deck to make sure I don't draw it in upkeep. Because it's a guaranteed doom if you draw it in upkeep. Okay, are you ready for the next question? I'm ready. Okay, when playing solo, what do you like to do to enjoy the experience more? When I play, I zoom through and it doesn't have the same ambiance slash scratching the itch. Mm. Well, this is a good... Glad I asked you this one, Frank, because I hardly yeah, play solo. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Your answer would be don't play solo. Yeah, right? last, I think <laughs> yeah. last time I played solo, I was just sitting My, on the floor uh... in front of the TV. I find when I play solo, sometimes I am zooming through and maybe enjoying it slightly more mechanically and sort of, yeah, just thinking about it in terms of lines of play or seeing how a deck is working. Like particularly on a scenario that I know how the scenario runs, I might not be reading flavor text to myself or things like that. And so that's definitely like low on the scale of immersion and then high on the like enjoyment of mechanics scale. But then when I do things like playing for the podcast or also when I'm playing scenario for the first probably four or five times I go really nice and slowly I read everything I like to put on some music I spend quite a long time shuffling all the decks I don't want to like a bad shuffle you know so that's what I would do I think I have a follow-up question for you okay this this is this is a personal question this is a, a Peter question you can think of a catchphrase for that later okay if you want. Peter's Peter's perspective in question form. Yeah, uh, there must be a, a synonym for question that begins with P. Mm, we'll get there yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that your question? No, no, no. <laughs> what no. is? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the experience like playing when you're recording for Think on Your Feet? Is it is it different? Do you feel like you have a, a, an audience? Uh, do you feel the weight of your, the, the the listeners there guiding your hand? Uh, definitely I feel the weight of listeners. I feel quite awkward that I'm not saying anything of interest. I'm very aware that like upkeep into mythos is fairly mechanical because I go upkeep, I draw a card, it's this, I get a resource, 
place one doom. Now my encounter card is, and that becomes... So I have to work quite hard at making sure that that part of the turn isn't too kind of, yeah, mechanical. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a... My dad always tells me off when I say kind of like a... It, it's like a, a heartbeat of the game. That's the rhythm. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're coming back around at that point. I, I've, I've always quite liked that. I try when I play multiplayer as well to not have everyone pause at the end of the turn because actually the decision-making needs to happen after Mythos. Yeah, 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 yeah. And often people draw cards and we want... Like, I, I'm very guilty of this. I want to then talk about what we're doing the following turn. Yes. And you've got to see those two, three, four encounter cards first before you make that decision. No, I, The other thing is um, I, I totally playing live, control. it's a lot more stop-start than comes across on the recording. More just for things like if I'm shuffling a deck, I'll edit that out. So I might shuffle for 30 seconds or more. And I'll keep the recording running and I'll be thinking and I don't want to talk at that point because then there'll be the shuffling under my voice. But I say in all of those, it's it's basically unedited. It's normally one take. I've never re-recorded any bits unless I've like completely butchered reading some flavour text. There was one bit of flavour text, I can't remember what it was. I just couldn't read it. I read it, <laughs> ended up like reading it four <laughs> times or something. Um, so yeah, yeah. Good question, yeah. I, it struck, I remember when you played solo recently-ish, recently at the beginning of Forgotten Age, you were surprised by how quick it was? Yeah, absolutely, yes. Uh, it's the reaction's then done, and then suddenly you're doing all of the... I, I think because there's no one to talk to about what you're doing, mm. it, the, the investigator phase is less than half as long as if you had twice the players. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it, it, you, it, it blasts through at a real clip. And a, a lot of the turn is, is mechanical, uh, at, at that point, you've only got yes. you basically only got three actions to consider what you're going to do, uh, where you have total freedom, where you're not just taking tests. Mm. Yeah, so it, it goes through very quickly. Yeah. The nice thing about when I'm recording as well is that actually talking about what the choices are for those three actions, that can actually take quite a lot of time. I, I enjoy kind of... Because sometimes I've maybe had an instinctive choice for a line of play, mm -hmm. and actually talking it through might talk me out of it and when we kind of, you know, everyone has blind spots where they think, oh, that would be the thing to do. And sometimes pausing and working it out is really good. So, yeah. Okay, uh, next question. Peter, what are your long-term goals with Drawn to the Flame? Well, I mean, it's, that's a good question, by the way. Um, my <laughs> main one would be to um, stage a coup and oust my co-host to become <laughs> the sole presenter. <laughs> wow okay but he doesn't know that yet <laughs> uh, that's, that's an interesting question i feel deeply uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> this is an interesting question so I, we didn't when we set up the podcast we didn't necessarily talk about whether we had any particular end goals it was to to do what we do which was provide something which people enjoy listening to about the game to, to mm -hmm. you know put ourselves into it and talk about the kind of stuff we would want to listen to yeah, we wanted detail, we wanted brevity, which obviously is like almost oxymoronic, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wanted something lighthearted and something digestible. And, I, you know, yeah. I think we do that. I hope we do. I mean, I, 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 I love doing what we do and mm. people seem to be listening to it. And we've, we've got patrons who, who we're thrilled are supporting us and doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. For some more Huge concrete thing. things, here, here is a, a secret um, and maybe... 
if we ever speak to, to Matt again, we can talk to him about this. Uh, if we ever get referenced in a campaign guide or a card, mm. that would be amazing. If someone sneaks in, are we, are we drawn to the flame reference somewhere? I'd be over the moon. What do you think? That's Yeah, that's a good goal. Yeah, you're not happy with Francis Morgan and Peter Clover. That doesn't do it for you. <laughs> I want more, Frank. Francis. <laughs> you want it to be yeah, you want it to be explicitly Peter Hopkins Clover yeah. and Francis <laughs> Frank Morgan. Yeah. Yeah. Or or so, someone makes us a super Frank patron. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, at the time of recording they just announced the second pack in The Circle Undone and there's a Guardian ally and I was like, It's happening and yeah. It's not happening. <laughs> Right, well, then you, you can add whatever you want to that if you want, Frank. Arkham and Flames? Yeah. Yeah. Providing a space for the community to play. And stri- my long-term goal is really vague. Striving to be better. Making the podcast better. Wanting, like, I, it's hard to define what that is, but those kind of, like, detailed discussions, maybe those moments when someone, the the episodes that, compels someone to write in and they say I've never thought about writing in before but what you said about x really struck me or I'd never thought about y those moments for me are like the most satisfying rewarding things and I just love I love when people share their experience of the game with me so yeah making episodes that compel people to share is really nice oh destroying the mythos busters as well that's a long-term goal oh I mean that's that's a short-term goal, surely. It's not going to be difficult. Immediate to short-term. Yeah. Love you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag blood feud. Okay, right. Do you want the next question? Ready. What card, bracket cards, close bracket, did you first find meh, but grew to love, and why? Now, we've got a few card-related questions like this one coming up. This is this is me <laughs> fudging, answering. And it's quite hard to th- hold all of the cards in your head at one time and sort them through mm-hmm. for this kind of answer. Which card did I find meh but now have grown to love? I can think of a historic one that we talked about on the podcast some time ago. I mean, way back when we were really unsure about Brother Xavier. That's the card I'm thinking, thinking yeah, of. that's the card I'm thinking of. yeah. So, so I'll tell you what, t- take us through, this is probably, this is quite some time ago, so so more uh, more recent listeners might not have heard us talking about Brother Xavier, because we did talk about him a lot. Mm. So what, what was our thinking on Brother Xavier? We just recorded our Ally episodes, which were episodes three and four, and then he came out. very first session out. of recording. Yeah, and he came out, so we then recorded an extra bit that we edited, and Xavier gives you willpower, but in the faction that likes combat, and... He has this really generous soak, but for him to have an ability, he has to die. So what's the point of the soak? He's expensive. He's competing with beat cop. There were all sorts of things that we sort of weren't sure about, and it felt like there were maybe multiple cards packed into one. And then when you start playing Xavier, the penny drops, and he's just fantastic. You can essentially protect everyone. You can more or less choose when you detonate Xavier, and particularly in someone like Zoe, your willpower then is at the point where willpower treacheries really don't threaten you. We had quite a big vault fast, didn't we, with Xavier? A what? Vault fast. Is that meaning about face? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Oh. I learned something new. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's just slaying me with an interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was Xavier. Who else? What else did we um were we unsure about? There's a few that. Oh, here's one. There's a few of the kind of evade and do something cards. Like I think you mentioned recently, close call had been really useful. Oh yeah, damn yes, and, close uh, call. I'm nuts about it at the moment. Think on your feet was another one which I, I was definitely met on, but I've I've heard lots of good things about more recently. First aid, I use a lot now. I, you know, to hell with the people who say it's not time efficient. It's great. Again, in specific, in specific decks, I suppose. And you know, we we bang this drum a load, which is that it's got to be led by the investigator rather than by the cards themselves. And so yeah, there's quite a few cards that maybe it's just been about waiting for a home for them rather than anything else. Yeah, which is one of the things we love about the game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can trust that there'll be a home at some point. I suppose for me, the other thing is that I'm more likely to be excited about a card and then maybe go a bit lukewarm about it. There are fewer cards that kind of wrestle their way into my... Ah, a Quinner level three. Um, or just generally a Quinner. Oh, yeah, That's yeah. one that I was like, uh, I can't really see how this is working. And then with Yorick who really wants to be taking hits and killing things. And in Carcosa, where there were some enemies that only do damage. Yeah. That. Love her. Yeah. Her upgrade is fantastic as well. Her upgrade is Yeah, the, the, exactly. Really, that. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Any others that you want to mention there? I can't think of any. I'm sure when we finish recording, I'll think of another 10. But that's, that's me yeah. at the moment. But you reminded me of Close Call. Close Call, um, I think, is phenomenal. And I've been playing Close Call in Silas... And I was actually talking about this on the Mythos Busters Discord recently. What I like about Close Call is it adds value to an evade, but also in Silas, you've got four combat and four evade. So you've got a range of options for how you deal with enemies. And he really is really versatile for enemy management. So for instance, you could use a fire axe, go broke, deal damage, or you could use a fire axe and throw in something like a stunning blow to evade an enemy. Or you could go, actually, it's not worth me going broke killing this enemy, so I'm just going to evade it. Or if it's a particularly bad enemy or one that's going to hunt or something like that, you could evade it and close call it, and then it shuffles into the deck, which is great. Obviously, in multiplayer, you're going to see more enemies, so it doesn't have quite the same flexibility. But I like that you've got a range there of different options. So any enemy that turns up, you can go, you know, is this a must kill? How much of an investment is it going to be to kill it? Do I just avoid it? That that sort of thing. Yeah. I've really liked it. I, I really think it's really enjoyable as a card. That's a top tip. To just go, yeah, nope. Okay, next question. Is it it's you for me next, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter, what are some quick win tips you might give to intermediate players to improve their game? Ooh. Quick win quick tips. Win, win quickly. That's a good tip. That's a quick win tip. <laughs> yeah. And actually, something we mentioned earlier is feels like a good one actually a couple can i just check check sense on this does he does does this question mean ways to improve or is it like tips to win quickly i think he means uh quick tips that will make you win more More easily win (laughs) more win yeah (laughs) quick tip okay cool yeah Quick tips to be winner. Yeah. yeah, that's right. In so much as any of us can win against the Mythos, Frank. Yes. There's a few, I would say, that plan your turns out before, after the Mythos phase, when you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least have a rough shape between you and your team. Talk talk with your team a lot. 
Yeah. Strictly according to the rules, you can't talk about what's in your hand. Yeah. But there's nothing to talk to you, nothing to stop you talking about the shape of your turn. And after a few games, people know the kind of cards you might have available anyway. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Can I add something to that as well? Of course you Which can. is, if one of the tests in that plan of the shape of your turn looks like it might be hard, mm-hmm. one thing you can do is plan in time to try it again. Yes. So it doesn't have to be that you plan every single action down to the final take a resource or whatever it is. It could be, well, I've got this big thing up ahead of me, so I'm going. even though I should be able to kill this enemy in two actions, I'm going to say that that's my whole turn. And if I have a spare action, great. But if I don't, like, factor in time to fail. Yes. Is what I mean. Yes. Yeah, the other one, and actually one of the good things, one of the good ways to get better at this is to understand what tests you can afford to fail. Yeah. And don't, don't overcommit to tests that you don't need to pass. Mm-hmm. So you can, yeah. you know, you might chuck in an inquiring mind to stop you taking one or two damage when you're Roland. Actually, Roland's got a big healthy health pool, mm. big healthy health pool, uh, and you can afford to take damage. You know, so so don't don't worry about that. Don't don't feel like you have to try and pass every test. And when you move up to hard and expert difficulty, even if you don't do that well, you will understand the chaos bag can be very harsh. So you have to pick which tests you you, you, you you simply can't afford to commit to all the tests. So you have to pick the ones that you need to pass in order to progress. Mm, absolutely. Knowing the consequences of failure. Yeah. So important for tests, I think. And finally, I would say, I mean, con- you really want to consider every action. How many times have you got to, to right at the end of the scenario and you're like, oh, just one or two more actions and, and you know, we'd, we'd be there. Yeah. There's there's a there's a kind of saying in project management, you know, a week at the beginning of the project is is the same as a week at the end of the project, but it's just at the end of the project, everyone's rushing around to get everything finished. If you'd had that week mm-hmm. at the beginning where you was kind of sitting around twiddling your thumbs a bit, then you'd be in a far better position. So mm-hmm. I guess kind of treat every action like it's your last, you know, don't spend, you know, oh, well, I'll just take a couple of credits as my last two actions. If there's something else you could be doing that, if you could be pushing forward with the act somehow or, or you know, building your board state, you know, look at doing that instead. I, I think the balancing act between progress, which I would roughly describe as getting clues and moving and consolidation, getting resources, getting cards, thinking about that balance and making the most of it is really important because I've seen people last action move just because they've got an action spare. Oh, I'll go and look at this place and it puts them in hot water straight away. Yeah. Or then if they draw an enemy and they're not the fighter, the fighter then has to move and join them to get the enemy off them. And it just becomes a massive action sink. So sticking together, if that's the right thing to do to save actions is so important. Yeah. And then also I see people not crack on and make progress yes, because it's... they've decided they've only got an action spare. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. It's just about the balance. I've played with someone before where I've had to tell them like, can you stop playing cards? Yeah, because yeah. We well, need I mean, to yeah, get card clues. Sometimes you just don't need to play any more cards. It's nice to have mm. 16 cards in play, but sometimes you don't need that. And also, we talked about this in our opening hands episode. Those first few turns are, are pretty crucial mm. uh, because you want to yeah. you want to be set up as quickly as possible than making progress. Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and admit that you're not going to be able to play a certain card. So don't dig yourself into a hole of, of time lost to get to play it. 
Okay. Well, this, I mean, this could have been an episode in itself, really, couldn't it? I want to add one final th- thought, though, which is that the value of cards changes depending on the point you are in a scenario. Leo De Luca, first turn, he's going to give you actions for the rest of the game. But if you draw Leo mid-game and you're on two resources, it's probably not a good investment of your time to spend your whole turn getting resources to hope to then play him the following turn. It might just be better to use those three actions to push on and finish the scenario. And I think remembering that a card that's great at the start might not be great at the end, or vice versa, is is really useful as a way of improving. Yeah, cool. Right, next next question. Someone in my playgroup asked... This is what it says on the question. This, is, this isn't from me. Yeah. That, that was me, what I just said. That wasn't the part of the question, but there's someone in my playgroup asked, okay. what's the question? Okay. Uh, <laughs> what are the best... This is back to the question. The best two <laughs> investigators for Dunwich. I would extend this and say, what about for the other campaigns? Is it different? So I don't know whether this is who are the best two investigators for that campaign from each box, or who are the best two investigators from Dunwich for each campaign? You can answer both if <laughs> <Or> you want. <laughs> just from all of the investigators. <laughs> yeah. For Dunwich, I think a pairing of Zoe and Daisy is super strong. I mean, we could say Rex. Rex is kind of, you know, incredibly powerful, whichever campaign, more or less. But Dunwich, he particularly shines in because there are a lot of multiple clue locations. I think so. Probably a Seeker and Guardian as a pairing is normally fairly strong. Yeah, I think that in Dunwich, a good pair in Dunwich, Zoe and Rex. Yeah. So that's probably what I'd say there. I played through Dunwich, Ashcan and Jim, and that was pretty good, but that was in the early days when Jim didn't have as much support. I think Zoe is particularly strong there because there are a few Willpower 5 tests and a few Willpower 4 tests as well, like the Arcane Barrier, and her high Willpower really sits her in good stead. So that's probably what I'd go for in Dunwich. Carcosa? Just Lola. Just get her down do you pick picking the, the best two from each box is that what you're no i'm going for any but yeah you just pick i mean min is picking min is great min and mark is that what yeah <laughs> min and mark min and mark that's what i choose for carcosa yorick is why is yorick so good in carcosa is it just that he came out in that box that's a good question yeah maybe i don't know the the focus on like getting clues somewhat shifts in carcosa there's a lot of horror handed out and Yorick's got a lot of ways to to play silk cards, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah there is. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. There's the there's even the courage assets, aren't there, in Unspeakable Oath, yeah. which soak even more horror. But I've also what did I? I finished. We finished Carcosa in one campaign that had been disrupted after Unspeakable Oath with Leo and Ursula when Forgotten Age had come out, and they were like beasting it. So uh, Leo, I don't know why Leo like really enjoys smashing maybe it's because he's got lots of allies he can soak a lot of horror but yeah i've had a lot of fun with leo and carcosa forgotten age trickier i guess finn jumps to the front of my mind i'm playing finn and leo in forgotten age at the moment you who are you you're playing like ursula and ashcan that's right yeah yeah yeah. that's a really powerful team in my opinion yeah so even though ashcan doesn't like explore because it's sort of somewhat nerfs Duke. Ursula he really just likes it. follows you around. But, but yeah. I mean, that's fine, because Ursula wants to ex- do the exploring anyway. We actually made sure that Pete had the map. 
So he could okay, he could yeah. Set, at least in the first scenario, he could set up the the exploration deck for Ursula. Mm, yeah, no, that's nice. I think with all of these examples here as well, we're slightly leaning towards the like the the pairings that just take a pretty direct approach towards a campaign and kind of brute force it. And I think Finn, because he's more flexible, or any mystic that you've built to be a generalist, normally can thrive. And if you can pair them up with someone who can get going very quickly, like Roland, or like some Seekers, then then you can actually have a really powerful pairing. I've played Wendy and Daisy in Carcosa before, and that was like a really strong group. So there is no hard and fast answer as far as I'm concerned. What about you, Peter? Oh, God. I, I don't even know how to answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> pass. But, You're allowed one yeah, pass. Well, l- yeah. l- like you say, I think Zoe and Rex is, is great in that box. Um, it, yeah. yeah. And I think they could probably take a reasonable stab at most of the campaigns. It'll be really interesting to see, actually, with Return to Dunwich, whether some of the multi-clue locations, 2i, 3i locations, are changed yeah. to curb some of the kind of explicit Rex power yeah yeah right next question spoiler this is a spoiler and it's a carcosa spoiler so if you haven't played carcosa yet it's a very minor spoiler yeah in one scenario resolution it instructs you to take 100 horror (laughs) would you recommend buying a third and fourth core set to ensure you have the tokens to do this well i was in a good position where i was in a group where everyone had two core sets so we had eight core sets around the table so it was it was pretty easy for us to get together enough tokens to do the 100 horror. Okay, so you did do that. You settled yeah, in. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And there was actually enough for a couple of us to do the 100 horror. Oh, good. So well, that, that worked it. out fine. So hopefully you're in, a, you're in a group where everyone has two core sets. If not, then I don't see... It's a bit of a shame, really, they haven't done a token top-up pack. <laughs> yeah. Maybe... Or just like a, a 10 horror token which yeah, no one at the moment yeah, could take. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. that should have been like a card insert in the Carcosa box, but, you know, what can mm. you do? Yeah, what can you do? I, I can tell you what you can do. Don't let that resolution hit. Yes. Just play better. Yeah. Never allow that card to flip. Yeah. Get good, I think is the uh, <laughs> phrase. <laughs> Get good, yeah. Uh, okay, right. My question to you. Actually, I've got a good answer to this, so I might have to interrupt you before you start. Which investigator would you most slash least like to go on a road trip with IRL? Which I believe means in real life. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hit me with your interrupt Well, I, I mean, obviously the worst person to go on a road trip with would be Leo. Because we know what happens to everyone he goes on a trip with. Yeah. You just have like an awkward tension. It'd be Leo <laughs> and Mitch sitting in the front and you're sitting in the back, like hoping you're not wearing a red shirt. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Who's going to go first? Okay, well, that's, that's a good answer. I think most for me is Carolyn Fern, the psychologist. Oh, you big um, nerd. I'm a big nerd. I'm training to be a therapist, so I would definitely love to do that. And she's really cool. I could ask her how to build a good deck for her, so <laughs> that would be useful yeah. too. Fact-finding mission. Least for me... Um, I mean, probably Calvin, because... You know, every bump in the road, he'd be getting more powerful and he'd be yeah. willing himself to drive into trees That's and things because right, yeah, it just yeah. makes him stronger. You go, like, no, Calvin. I think yeah. Zoe might be a bit awkward as well. She'll be sitting on the back seat and stroking a knife and muttering to herself. Praying, yeah. yeah. That would, might, yeah. might be a bit awkward. 
you could have that slightly tricky situation where she's maybe talking to you about religion, which is fine. I'm up for talking about that. Yeah. And then she'll say something like, and God tells me to do X or Y. And for me, that's that like slight record scratch moment where you're like, oh, yeah. she's hearing voices that I'm definitely not hearing. <laughs> and now I feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I can see that. I think Duke... Who would you most like to go with? Duke would be, would be good. And Ash Campete or just Duke? <laughs> uh, I give or take Ash Campete, but Duke. Cause if he brings Duke, he's very welcome. If Ash Campete falls asleep in the car, though, he will wake having nightmares. So, <laughs> I tell you who might be good is Ursula. She'd know somewhere really good fun to go to. She would, but she'd also be exhausting. <laughs> she'd, she'd tell you something interesting about everywhere you went to. Yeah, and if you're like, oh, let's stop here for, for you know, get, get petrol at this. Oh, no, 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 let's carry down the road a little <laughs> bit more. I'm sure there's a better petrol station down... I've told you before, there's that style in this in Forgotten Age of, well, just with Ursula, sorry, playing her with Pathfinders. So you're bouncing back and forth between locations, getting free investigate actions. Mm. It's the idea that you're walking through the jungle and she's sort of, oh, hang on. And she runs off into the jungle and then she kind of runs back out a minute later, having found something hidden under a rock. She's sort of like a sheepdog, isn't she? <laughs> she's just circling you rather than actually staying with you. Yeah. Yeah, or Daisy. I talked to Daisy about books. That'd be great. Yes. Okay. Great question. Yes, good, very good question. Peter, which investigator and or which scenario, two-parter, have given you the most thematic moments? Ooh. Um, this, is a, this is a prickly question. Are the most mm, thematic yeah. moments? I think there's been... Did I do... No, I didn't do that. Oh, oh! I don't know. Do you have do you, do you have a good answer for this? Well, I well, can well, think I, one for you. Well, yeah. Flop what about you with Daisy, deciphered reality, lost in yeah, time and I've space, that, stubborn detective? I've told that story yeah. enough times. Um, but I mean, <laughs> that was that was good because it was it was so bizarre. It didn't quite work thematically. And I've I think I've said before, but Roland in Blood on the Altar, arriving like first time playing Blood on the Altar, Roland, that kind of feeling of closed doors and trying to investigate what's going on. Just remember that being a real theme when the the Fed arrives in small village. I did play ages ago, right back on my first playthrough of Dunwich, actually, I did. Uh, Zoe played I've Had Worse when uh, the crazed Chogoth attacked her. Mm, and nice, that, was, yeah. that was just this idea of Zoe standing on the hill, like silhouetted with lightning flashing behind <laughs> her, just screaming at this Chogoth, bring it on! Uh, that, was, nice. that was pretty epic. Yeah, no, that's really nice. I think recent scenarios, Threads of Fate and City of Archives, both are just so geared towards putting you in thematic moments. The decision points in Threads, what are you trying to find out? And then City of Archives, the fact that the investigators are... Well, spoiler for City of Archives, the investigators are trying to work out how they operate and you as a player is trying to work out how the investigators operate. That's... Yeah, super thematic for me. And I've spoken to a couple of people online who didn't enjoy that experience. And probably their investigators didn't too. So it's still a theme win, yeah. even if it was un- <laughs> not enjoyable. That's, that's, like, that's but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other one I actually I quite liked was when we played Threads of Fate. This is probably an awkward juxtaposition, but it was good anyway. It was where mm. there's a character who gets picked up by a flying creature. Yeah. And they... The, the creature fly, basically flies around Arkham in a loop. <laughs> and, it, it, when you, when, and that happened right at the start for us because it was the first deck we went through. 
And then we sort of went, well, we'll deal with that later. And then we did all of the other, both the other decks before we came back to it. <laughs> and then when you rescued him, he's like, oh, God, I didn't know where it was taking me. And we were like, well, we do. He was just round in circles. <laughs> we were just watching you circling. That was also yeah. the one where um, we found we found the relic in the curiosity shop just because we mm. were passing. And then it turned out we needed that later. So there was this idea where the, this character, you, you know, you went to the curiosity shop and you said, oh, this looks interesting. You pick it up. And then later on, someone says to you, oh, well, the, the, the relic's in the curiosity shop. Did you find it? We need to come find it. And we were like, oh, no, we brought that along. We just found that earlier and thought it might be useful. Nice, nice. I like that. I like that a lot. My final one, um, I played Finn in Doom of Estley and I went back in twice. So I did it three times in a row. And that to me, like I had I'm out of here and elusive and it was like the classic sort of bootlegger slash thief that Finn is, that he snuck in, got a bit beaten up and he snuck out again. And then he just hung around a bit outside the door and was like, oh, I'll give it another try. And he snuck in again and didn't manage it and snuck out again. And then finally I went in a third time and and finished it. Yeah, I just loved that, the sort of the thief creeping yeah. around basically nice. is really nice. Finn Finn produces quite a lot of those moments doesn't he where you because he's not a brute forcer you you find a sneaky way around a problem yes. and, yeah it's very satisfying absolutely yeah yeah great question love that one right what this is a, this is two parts but we'll split it up uh, what is the most underrated card and why is it cat burglar that's one part of the two parts yeah yeah it has two parts itself yeah God, underrated card. This is now all of this time to think of cards and I've not thought is it thought of any. Yeah, there's maybe an overlap with our cards that we didn't value at first. So you can say close yeah. call here. Yeah, that was coming to mind. That was coming to mind. I, I mean, you know me, I've, I've always liked Defiance. That's and true. I, I, yeah. I genuinely think that that's a good card because when you understand the Chaos Bag, you can see the level of boost it gives you, uh, and especially on mm-hmm. harder difficulties where the the special tokens can have quite hefty modifiers on. Yeah. Or if, yeah. if you know you're on a scenario like, well, any of the ones where the skulls often get worse as the scenarios go on because it it, it mm, often re- yeah. refers to this like depth or, or amount of doom on cards and things like that. So so the skulls can be really really heavy negative cards, and a defiance can just cancel them all together. So. I, I I think that's underrated. I think, broadly speaking, the place I'd look for that is events and skills. I think the community as a whole rates assets fairly highly. And the decks I see on ArkhamDB, a lot of them are low on events or skills. And I think it's, like particularly for events, so now I'm just doing card type that's underrated events. And something like Storm of Spirits, I've always found great uses for that card. But it costs the same as playing shriveling. So it normally always is the the card that gets cut instead of shriveling. But I think it's so much more flexible. It can give out the same amount of damage in shriveling in one shot. It's a great crowd control card. So yeah, that's that's good. People don't like Quantum Flux. I think Quantum Flux is great. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I don't, good. I don't play it. I have it in my deck sometimes. It doesn't always do anything, but I think it's a cool one-off. And let's talk about Cat Burglar. I've never underrated Cat Burglar. I think Cat Burglar is amazing. And I don't know. I think it's just because it competes with Leo, right? That's why people underrate it. It's such a good it's a, card. It's a problem all rogue allies are going to have. 
is that everyone likes Leo a lot. And he's mm. so generally useful that it's 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 difficult to think of a compelling reason, just from a purely mechanical point of view, not not to use him. Uh, I've definitely used Cat Burglar in Wendy, uh, but I haven't used it that much. As you say, there's I think there's maybe just a a, a glut of good allies available to rogue characters. Mm. Like yeah, both, both for Wendy, you've also got Peter Sylvester and Finn as well. Sylvester can beat him, yeah. And and Pete is is incredible. So if you're not using Leo, you probably want to be using Pete. Yeah. Yeah, poor Joey the Rat <laughs> doesn't doesn't get a look. In, does he? <laughs> yeah, Joe, yeah, poor Joey the Rat. No, Cat Burglar as well. The, the challenge there is that the action and the boost seem to be working at odds because it's giving you agility to evade, but then it's giving you an action to move away from enemies without evading them. So those two things seem to be contradictory, but a little bit like what I was saying with Silas and having options. It's the options that I really like. If you draw into a fang of yig or something like that that doesn't hunt just spending an action to testlessly get away is terrific and then if you draw into something that you'd rather evade to then sneak attack it or get money from pickpocketing or whatever it is then you can choose to evade and you've got a boost yeah it's really nice great okay well uh i asked that one didn't i Mm, yeah more controversially this is part two of this question what is the most overrated card and why is it machete gasp I think you were supposed to gasp there, not say gasp. <gasps> That's better. Yeah. Uh, again, a two-part question. So this is question's actually four parts. So I'm, I'm going to tweak this a bit to, to stay with our normal positive attitude. Rather than saying a card is overrated, what I'm going to do is I've, I've got some cards which I thought would be better in my decks. And actually, okay. uh, and I haven't, haven't... Oh, actually, I do know which card's most overrated, but I'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> what I th- okay. what I th- thought I would love is Dark Prophecy, mm-hmm. and it has been decidedly meh every time I've used it, because it feels like a, a, a auto pass button in Matteo or in Jim. It feels really good. I played it in Jim a while ago, and the only special symbol I drew was the tablet, <laughs> and that felt like a real kick in the teeth. So I paid. T- to draw you could get worse. a t-shirt for Jim. I went to the jungle and all I got was this lousy tablet. Exactly. So yeah, I think it's maybe got some interesting uses in combos and things. But at the moment, it, it doesn't quite do it for me. Um, mm-hmm. The other one that I've, I've cooled a bit on is calling in favours and chance encounter. I still both think are very good, but I, they're mm. less... I, I, at one point, I was putting calling in favours in every deck I was using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's actually quite a lot of investment. It, it, it as an economy card, it doesn't work that well. It's good if you want to turn an ally into another ally, if you're looking for a particular ally. But it's not a resource efficient way of doing that, really. Mm. You see what I'm and trying to say? People were talking about that it is like a an auto include in Leo. And then actually, if you're running, say, six allies in Leo because you want allies to play to make the most of your ability, you actually don't necessarily need to call any in because you always have a steady flow of allies into your hand. Yeah, it, it's better yeah. increasing... If you're in Leo, it's better increasing the rate at which you draw cards. Mm, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad card at all. I just it, It's not as stellar as I was originally making it out to be. Mm, mm. And then, obviously, the most overrated card... And after I say this, we're going to go straight on to the next question, right? Unless you've got one you want to add? I want to talk about whatever card you say, yeah? No, no, you're not allowed to. Okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk about the machete then. Okay, yeah, go on. It is the 
acidic ichor upgrade of strain solution. Okay, you go. The next question is... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, is machete overrated by the community? It does get treated as a as an auto-include where other weapons will do perfectly well and there are people who swear by it. Also, I think you can play decks quite happily without machete and it's not the end of the world. And for instance, someone like Yorick, we've seen... I've built a deck before where Machete was his only weapon and he's recurred Keepsake and Leather Coat and things like that. And then I've built a deck that doesn't have Machete and he's been recurring Throwing Knives and Aquila Level 3. So there's definitely flexibility there. I suppose if the question is like, are people in the community blind to other cards because they love Machete? Then I suspect yes. And I think I probably have blind spots myself. You know, I pretty much put Elusive in every deck that can take it and maybe I don't always need two elusives in every single deck but it's just a card that I just think oh that's great I'll put it in there. I think it, it, this is a again actually this is a question that you could unpack and talk quite a lot about I think there's a few elements to it is there anything wrong with certain cards being staples and being you know mm. an obvious choice to include I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that remember machete it, it costs three as well and there are there are several other like melee type weapons which which cost less survival knife is one that springs to mind which has a very mm-hmm. useful yeah. additional ability on it which machete doesn't have mm-hmm. so I, yeah. I think yeah. survival knife is definitely worth looking at not maybe not instead of machete but as well as yeah um yeah. there are certain interactions of different monsters in the game who may or may not prefer to be attacked with different weapons so there's a yeah. way of of you know you, depending on the campaign it's not a one size fits all but also i think it's it's interesting that people when people talk about the ubiquity of some cards they focus on things like machete and don't talk about say emergency cash so emergency yeah. cash i was shows, thinking about cash and and unexpected courage right? yeah they show up in so many decks but no one says that's too good because everyone uses it it's it's a it's a baseline from which you can judge other cards really Mm. If if mm. you weren't playing the main fighter in a group who's going to be engaged with the enemies, you might consider machete. You might not consider machete. It, it, it might not be the right the right weapon for your for your investigator. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's it's a good card, but I don't necessarily think it's ahead of the curve. Maybe it's slightly ahead of the curve. <laughs> That's then the other like unpacking what overrated means because, for instance, higher education is an incredibly powerful card, but I wouldn't say it's overrated because I also think it's incredibly powerful. So anyone who says you should run this card, I'm not going to say to them, oh, hang on a second, really? Do you want to run it? I'm like, yeah, you should if you want to smash tests and be, you know, essentially mentally robust where nothing can really touch you, mentally being willpower and intellect. What what I find, I think, where an over powered card maybe becomes a problem we, sh- we should talk about this more in a future episode actually frank because it's quite an interesting mm. topic interesting yeah for sure yeah i think maybe when overpowered becomes an issue in arkham is when it takes away the fun from other players mm-hmm. and all of the cards i've had a problem with in terms of the power level are, have been because of that exact thing and mm. because it's a co-op game it's easy enough not to use them i know a lot of people say rex is overpowered my my experience with Rex was that he wasn't fun to play because he did everything. He had, 
he had higher education so he could boost his stats as high as he needed. He had, I've got a plan, so he could do huge amounts of damage to enemies and he didn't need any help finding clues. So Rex sort of just jumped between locations using Pathfinder to move for free, <laughs> picked yeah. up all the clues and then, you know, that's how we advanced the the scenario. And everyone else was sort of standing around saying, well, you know, let me know if you need any help. Yeah. And the same same yeah. with things like, I guess, the key, which I haven't used in, in play much, but if it makes one character way better, I can see that wouldn't be fun for the other players. Yeah. Machetti, on the other hand, yeah. I'm not there as a seeker saying, oh, well, it's not fair. The Guardian's got a weapon that's really good. <laughs> I'm saying, thank, <laughs> yeah, thank God you mean, you've got yeah. the machete because you can kill this monster that's attacking me. <laughs> mm, mm. No, for sure. I mean, the other thing to bear in mind as well is that people in the community, like I'm now talking about the community including people playing who aren't interacting at all online apart from maybe publishing a deck or two all the way through to people talking about this game every day of the week playing as much as they can those that huge range of players is at lots of different stages in the game so for instance on facebook often people are asking for deck building advice and they're getting pretty middle of the road advice you're playing as a seeker put you know upgrade to higher ed you're playing as a guardian run machete and they're maybe not at the point where they want to experiment. They're certainly not, say, where I am, where I go, okay, I'm playing Guardian, but I've always played Machete, so I'm not going to play Machete. Or we're playing and we're probably not going to play Rex because of exactly what you just described. It creates these kind of unfun situations. And the beauty of this game is there's no tournament scene and you can do that. You can soft ban a card or cards if you don't want to use them. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, and you're you're able to do you that. might find your, you know, your your kitchen table player. They're quite excited to to pull out a card, which is which is really powerful. Yeah, that might be yeah. something they enjoy doing. Um, yeah, but definitely the conversation, it, the, encouraging more voices within the conversation, I think, is a really good idea. And the the more we can avoid doctrinaire positions that are like, if you play Guardian, you must play Machete. I'm all in favour of that. And I'd love to see more decks that don't run Machete and have great explanations why. You know, and that's one of the things I loved about all of the stuff that plays off firearms. You can run a Machete through a campaign and that's fine. You could also get sticks to the plan, extra ammo, custom ammunition, marksmanship, maybe lead and contraband and, you know, a huge gun. And you could have a lot more fun as the Guardian with these kind of really creative combat yeah, solutions. Yeah, Ventura as well, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I totally agree. couldn't agree more. Yeah. Right. Final question. This is me to you, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, this is a specific one, and this might be slightly spoilery, but I'll read the question, and then people can judge if they want to skip ahead. Is Boundary Beyond getting too much hate, or does it deserve every piece of... Uh, I assume this is a swear word he's put in. Uh, Beep! That is thrown its way. If you've not played Boundary Beyond yet, skip ahead... Five minutes. Oh God, you're going to talk for five minutes about Boundary Beyond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, just five minutes roughly. Look how much time there is left. And go to about two the... minutes from the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, is Boundary Beyond getting too much hate? Good question. Thank you. Depends where you're hanging out in the community. Some of my comments about where you are in the community, I think, definitely apply here. Over on the face uh, the Fantasy Flight Games forums, someone just posted a thread about why Heart of the Elders Part A is the worst scenario. Right. With like a very detailed write-up about why it's dreadful. 
And I definitely was having a record scratch moment of thinking, wait a second, aren't these posts meant to all be about Boundary Beyond being the worst scenario? So that was striking for me. I know that the Mythos Busters did a really big episode about why Boundary Beyond was so bad and the kind of the feel bad moments it engendered. Do you want do you want to summarize a couple of those points? Just for people who haven't listened. Yeah, I think as people shouldn't being... to the Mythos Busters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. None of you will have heard that, but <laughs> I think I think the thrust of it being exploring that scenario has additional costs attached. The locations that you explore into have when revealed effects that are negative, broadly speaking. You're punished for getting locations. There's no way of resigning and it's not made clear to you as a player that the number of locations you get in a way doesn't matter unless you're going for the Ichtaka three locations she trusts you now route. So you're breaking your back to try and do something that's really hard only to find out that you didn't need to really do that thing. I think in some is why it's bad or why people think it's bad. I definitely think it's a hard scenario. I definitely think as a community, we could be better at talking about the challenges a particular scenario poses and finding ways of solving those challenges. And I definitely think that as a community, we have a problem with knee-jerk reactions where I played in a scenario that was hard, therefore the scenario is bad. And once we discover that there are certain scenarios that are harder than others, and we prepare suitably for those challenges, personally speaking, I don't find that bad. I think that's good. When I'm playing Carcosa, I prepare for scenario one being really tough. I prepare for Unspeakable Oath really, you know, ringing me out. And I'm ready for that. And I know the challenges it takes. And I don't go... I hate Carcosa because the fourth scenario is difficult. I go, I'm ready for this. I'm up for this challenge. And I think with time, we'll have the same thing with Boundary Beyond. People will know. When I played it recently with a friend who's playing Forgotten Age for the first time, I I said to him, I don't spoil scenarios for him, but I said, this scenario is a marathon, not a sprint. And let's pace ourselves. Yeah. And you have to be ready for that. I guess the, the flip side is there are people who... We've, we've had email and messages from people throughout the course of us doing the podcast who maybe don't replay the game to the same extent a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, you know, I've got kids. I sit down after they've all gone to bed and I, I treat myself to one scenario every month or, or whatever because it takes me a long time to get ready. Uh, and when I'm in that situation, if a scenario comes up which destroys me, uh, I'm not having a good time. And I might even have to go back to the beginning of the campaign in order to get back to the point I was. And that, that's a significant amount of time out of my life. So what I don't want to be is confronted with a scenario where I needed to know what it was like before I went into it. And I think some of the criticism has been around that, hasn't it? Yeah, that's, that's a fair assessment, a fair addendum. I think it's such a hard thing to gauge for Matt, though. He can't... like. Yeah. He's he's building for people who aren't playing very much, and he's building for people who will play many exactly. times. And it, it, and in fact, that feeling of of mastering something is one that I really like. I, I like thinking about the challenges that are going to come up, and I think it might, it, 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 to an extent, it, it pushes people out of their comfort zones in terms of building the decks. Oh man, this is this is a this is a, this is a deceptively good question. This. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I think this has been one of the issues. I'm not saying the only issue because I know people have got a lot of issues with the Forgotten Age in terms of the difficulty and how some of the mechanics work. Mm. But I think one of the things it's done is push people out of their comfort zone in terms of how they build their decks because the nature of the challenge is so different from what we've seen in the past. And I know that this has caused problems in the past when people are confronted with a challenge they weren't prepared for by what has happened previously, like needing a certain start at a certain level and they come to a scenario where they can't fudge it and then... You know that's that's it. You you can't find another way around that problem. So yeah, I, I don't know whether that's people are coming bumping up against that issue where you have to be able to do certain things. Your decks have to be built in in kind of a certain way to get through this. Like you say, I think in the future when we come back to this scenario, this campaign rather, you'll see the the peaks and the troughs, and you'll know mm, you know what you have to be well, and in, for. Interestingly. Now people talk about Undimension Unseen being one of the worst scenarios in Dunwich. And they're wrong. But it was it was where Doom awaits, where there's that real roadblock. And at the time, no one was complaining about Undimension Unseen. It was hard, but people got through it, and then they were hit by what felt like an unfair roadblock around intellect. And that felt really bad. And maybe the slight difference for Forgotten Age is that you've been beaten up and probably picked up some trauma in Untamed Wilds and Doom of Estley. And then you hit Boundary Beyond, and it seems even more punishing. So maybe it's about an accumulation, so an effect of like being beaten up that doesn't help. Yeah. I but then there have been other scenarios, like we mentioned earlier, City of Archives we both loved, adored, probably up there in my top five scenarios ever. And people in the community that we talk to a lot saying to us, Oh, that one was really bad for me. It was a swing and a miss for me. Yeah. And you go, okay, you know, that, that's just a reminder to me that it's so subjective and the people who've had a rough ride of it are maybe the ones who are going to be more vocal about that. In a way, I think for the long-term health of the game, it's nice that there's a different texture to the different campaigns. Mm. And I want to see that that continue to happen. It might be in five years' time when we've got, uh, how many cycles? A lot more cycles. Ten, Ten cycles. cycles. Yeah. Uh, we can. Someone says, "Well, I'm just getting into to Arkham, and there's uh, sixty packs for me to buy. Uh, what do I, What do I get? No, more than that. It'd be six, Yeah, six, you're six. making me feel very uneasy <laughs> with how many packs. But but then, then you, they say, "Well, what, what what do I buy?" And you say, "Well, you know, what kind of experience do you want? Do you want something challenging? Do you want something?" interesting from a story point of view what are you looking for in the game because we can probably point you towards a cycle that's right for you and i guess that's Mm. not much comfort to people who are buying everything as it comes out yeah and it's not much comfort for those play once a month players you describe who yeah it's like a tv show isn't it if you you want all episodes to be of a certain quality but there'll be highlights and lowlights within that but if one episode really dips in terms of what you expect from the tv program you're then very disappointed anyone who saw the bodyguard recently that to me was just like a downward trajectory (laughs) spoilers for the bodyguard and by the final episodes i was just yelling at the tv and reminded me why i don't watch television much because i just thought it was absolutely appalling and i'd really enjoyed the first two or three episodes i was in exactly the same position there you go. We should have had that for the most overrated question, the bodyguard. <laughs> bodyguard, yeah. No Whitney Houston at all either. I'd, I'd like it, I think, so one of my favourite programmes is American Horror Story. 
and that mm. every so it's an anthology so every season is drastically different well not drastically different it, it has different themes and a slightly different tone across this, the different series so the most recent series has been funnier than the last ones there was a series a couple of years ago the the Roanoke season which was it's it was a lot more what's the word I'm looking for it was more kind of visceral. It was more more real. There was that this hidden camera element to it, which which was quite interesting. But it was a very different series from from the ones other ones there's been. And to an extent, if you, if you don't like a series, you just say, okay, well this is new for me. Maybe I'll come back to it later. But I'll put it on pause. Mm. I don't know. I think there's, yeah. there's definitely maybe if we speak to Matt about this cycle, if yeah, that'd be uh, great. If we can, we, we can that, maybe yeah. tease out about him from him the the challenges of designing a game that's a lot of different things to different people yeah and and just yeah. see what he feels about it whether he feels it's landed as he wanted to mm. Mm. it's it's a huge question isn't it yeah. how do you keep all of these different audiences happy how do you communicate to all the different audiences what they're going to get out of a particular cycle how yeah how do you how do you set the tone of a cycle how do you manage expectations? Really tricky. That That's the other point where I, I appreciate why people get frustrated with Boundary Beyond. Because you can't resign and because it doesn't signal to the player in the way that Midnight Masks does that it's a see-how-many-you-can-get situation, you you can left be left feeling like you're trying to get all of them and then you don't manage that and you suddenly realise you were actually meant to be preparing for something else. Which is kind of hard, which is a bit like spoilers, Eternal Slumber. <laughs> yeah, it does a very similar thing. Cool, we're done. We're sated. There are no more questions in the bag. Do you have any final thoughts about game difficulty? Overrated, underrated? Um, I think this has been interesting. There's been some. Some of the questions have, have taken us in in a really in good direction. I knew. Uh, in an, you said interesting like, a know, thousand times this episode. It seems silly to, to restrict myself just now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a really good chat, I think. And we there's a lot to I think some of them has actually sparked some ideas. I'm going to scribble in our in our show notes file. I think afterwards, Frank. Yeah, there's do. a couple of things we talked about which might be nice to to circle back to and spend a lot more time talking about. I think very the yeah. forgotten age question is is so prickly because our experience has been that we both really enjoyed it. Mm. I, I I can't. There's been not denying that I find certain scenarios very difficult. Yeah, but it hasn't way, bothered me well. really. The first it was a shock when we did the first one, and we did it on hard as well because we'd found the previous campaigns <laughs> a bit easy by the end, and we yeah. we got mostly destroyed by it. But that, it was a fun experience because the the story just carried on. Mm. Um, it also it hands out trauma a lot more readily as well, and we're, we're mm. kind of conditioned to think trauma is a terrible thing that you must avoid at all costs. But yeah. we've seen certain clues, certain little breadcrumbs have been dropped that say actually your health pool and your sanity pool is, is another resource for you to invest as you see fit. Yeah, and I yeah. think um, I'll see you in hell is, is a good example of that. Uh, you take a trauma, but you destroy all the enemies at your location, which might work out for the best. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you do that yeah. in, say, the th- third from last scenario, a trauma translates to two damage, one in each of the last two scenarios. Is mm-hmm. that is that terrible? 
I don't think that's that's too bad. And then there's this whole weight of cards within the card pool that are normally underrated, which are healing cards, because healing is just treading water until you finish a scenario. Yeah. Yes. Which is true until that healing is the difference between finishing a scenario and not, or avoiding a trauma or getting one. And so, so suddenly all of those healing cards need to be reconsidered. Yeah, exactly, yeah. The problem with healing is always it's you feel like it's it's digging you out of a hole by by carrying on carrying on digging you're not you're doing badly and then you're spending more actions and resources in order to do less badly yeah um, so it's something you wouldn't have to play if you were doing well which can be rough but then we saw second wind this cycle yeah we saw thermos this and thermos cycle. yeah how about yourself? Maybe, Maybe that's the, the most, that was... most underrated card, Thermos. Yeah. <laughs> oh, to the I'm soup. definitely going to do an Agnes deck and put Thermos in it. Well, that was my kind if of... only she could... Ra- yeah, if she could take Liquid Courage as well, you could do proper, like, cocktail waitress. <laughs> and the, uh, Irish whis- an Irish soup. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my kind of rambling last thought. What, do you have any last thoughts? Um, just that I really enjoyed answering these questions. Thanks to all of the patrons who sent them in. Really appreciate them. And hopefully have some more. And if you know, let us know if you like this kind of mailbag episode, because we really enjoyed doing it and exploring some of these topics. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, please, please, please send us questions if you if you've got questions. Uh, it's one of our Patreon award tiers. So if, if you're mm-hmm. if you're a patron, send us questions because we're legally obliged to answer them. Yeah. We've now we've dispensed with our side of the legal contract. <laughs> dispensed with or no performed? I don't know. Executed? I used the ah oh, yeah, nice yeah. Executed. We will be executing one patron's question every episode until we hit a hundred patrons. Yeah. <laughs> until we've executed a hundred patrons. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for signing up for the cult of Frank and Peter. <laughs> Uh, if you want to email the cult of Frank and Peter, we're on Drawn to the Flame podcast at gmail.com. We're also Drawn to the Flame on Facebook and Twitter. Give us a like on one of those or follow us on Twitter. And we've been mentioning Patreon. We're www.patreon.com forward slash Drawn to the Flame. We also have an event coming up in March. It's called Arkham in Flames and it's in London on the 9th and 10th of March. And you can find tickets for it on Eventbrite. That's bright spelled B-R-I-T-E. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I am everywhere as Unitled. That's U-N-I-T-L-E-D. I'm on Twitter. I'm on the Reddit and on Discord. So if you see me on any of those platforms, say hello. How about you, Frank? How can people get a hold of you? I'm on Twitter as FB. That's E-P-H underscore B-E-E. And I'm on Discord as Zooey Glass. That's Z-O-O-E-Y-G-L-A-S-S. And I'm Zozo on ArkhamDB. So Zooey Glass spelled in, in the normal way is what you're saying. Yeah, no, it's not Zoe, it's Zoe. Exactly. There's two O's Zoe in glass. there. It's, everyone knows what yeah. Zoe glass is. So. Yeah, yeah. Spelt in the JD Salinger character. In, yeah. in a regular way. Yeah, exactly. Not like you're untitled, spelt incorrectly. Yeah. It's United. It's yeah, exactly. United. That's what I mean. Untitled without no, the no, T. It's not. But there's two T's. It's, it's yeah. <laughs> Great. Looking forward to when I get kicked off the podcast. (laughs) Thanks very much for listening. Thank you for listening, everyone.